What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Ali Deichman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. And also... Eric Jordan. Yeah, that's right. And this week we will be talking about storytelling as a DM and how we all prep, as well as answering some listener questions at the end. Hey guys, how were your games this week? I... I, I, Eric, you go first. I can't. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And then have. And I'll, I'll follow that up to at least put people game. to sleep. Uh, <laughs> I had my fifth session of our Curse of Strahd campaign that we started. Sort of. This is only people in our bubble, so that we can mm-hmm. do stuff uh, around the table, which I have uh, learned through these COVID times is uh, a big part of how I end up telling story, and I find mm-hmm. the virtual stuff for me. Uh, I really struggle with that, so. Uh, yeah, and it was great. We had um, a, a part, it ended up being beautiful weather. And so Peace uh, really took on its whole life of its own with this hag altar thing that I built um, pretty much last minute, just kind of that morning. This oh puzzle God. that I put together, which actually <laughs> had taken a fair amount of time. Then they had to kind of de- get this code book, which they would then use to decrypt these puzzle pieces, which I ended up hiding all around the backyard um, in some pretty hard places and stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and the, and the players really had a great time and, uh, and it's lovely because I co-DM with my wife. And so the two of us, it's just spending a lot of time with our kids and the one other person in our bubble. So always I love enjoy. that. So, so, so it went well. Cause like, well, a lot of us saw the, like the, the setup for it and everything mm-hmm. that you did there, which was spectacular listeners. If you have not looked at this tweet thread yet, go check it out. It is yeah. amazing. Uh, so, but they had a good time with it. They, they figured it out and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah. Um, I, uh, as I was saying, um, I had, uh, so done this, it's a, it's a particular, uh, kind of runic sort of script called Oghem, Oghem, O-G-H-A-M, which is like a oh, ancient hmm. picture script that I was using. And I teased my players with a prop that I had made the previous week, um, which had the script on it, but they didn't have any way to translate it. And then I created kind of this, um, this it was the first time I kind of created a book of someone who was working on the translation. And so you get various pieces throughout the pages as compared mm-hmm. to just like, sometimes I've done it where I just give them like a dictionary kind of thing that just sort of says, here's what these letters all mean or something like that is kind of one thing. But this way they had to do this whole step of figuring out the book in order to actually reverse engineer their own version. Though I did print out pages for them of all the characters so oh they could kind God. of put in the letters as they figured them out. Um, but as I was sort of figuring out this riddle, my wife had come up with this riddle. We we're working together on it. And then I was kind of trying to solve it myself to make sure I could do it. And it would, the puzzle actually worked. And I realized that the, I'd miscounted when I'd put the book together. But by that point, I put the book together and aged it. And it was like basically done. You, you had and, sewn it together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, it sounds more impressive than it really is. It does seem kind of confusing, but watching videos versus pictures helps a lot, I found for me. Um, <laughs> I had to do it, but I'd sewn this book together and was like, oh, and so, yeah. So then I realized we had to make this whole other edition, but thankfully the book's all ripped, so it could easily be a page that was ripped out. Um, <laughs> and so, so I did that and then we had to, my wife, cause I'm like, okay, we need these letters. So she came up with sort of something that could go into the book that had those letters so the players could then know what those letters meant in terms of the characters that they were trying to translate. So then they had to find the stuff. Yeah, so it actually, the only thing that I would have done differently 
um, is I have four players and I would have actually had the book ripped into four pieces. So each oh. player had a piece that they could use towards the puzzle. I had broken the riddle into four bits. So they all had four things to solve, but I would actually have done the code pieces, four pieces as well. Where I ah, took okay. So that would have been Okay. Fun. Yeah. Because it was ended up being two people doing it and two people kind of on the sides for that piece and then all four of them translating when they were doing the translating. And then they had to do the riddle, which they solved together. So, yeah, they seemed to enjoy it. And it was a beautiful day. So it was nice to be outside in the backyard running around. And, God, and so it's funny because they're not even – I used to do it when they were like, I don't know, 12 years old or something. But, you know, now they're 15, 18, 18, and 20 are the four – players um but they're still enjoying running around outside That's of the backyard. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, hope, I hope you do more of those and i hope you post about them because they're they mm -hmm. uh, that was fantastic that was an amazing read yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because i have to take all the pictures ahead of time because once the players play through it it's all kind of changed and stuff so yeah. i actually document it all ahead of time uh well i mean document and take pictures all ahead of time um and then but i don't post it of course because several of my players follow me on twitter so i don't <laughs> <post it laughs> afterwards because i don't want mm -hmm. them to see kind of all that we have day. that same problem with uh, uh our players listening to this podcast uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that that's that's amazing <laughs> again listeners go check out that thread yeah um, i mean like just seeing that reminded me how much i love like rosetta stone flavor riddles because yeah. they're just so much fun because they're doable you don't have to have some obscure knowledge but if you just sit down and like work at it you can get there and those are my favorite kind of riddles mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah i think yeah i think it's important like i try to because it's sort of those are all in my mind kind of mini games if you will and you don't want the mini game to be so much of your D D session that all you've done is your mini game unless like your players are like super into that. Um, you know, so I, I, I kind of balanced it. It took about 40 minutes or so all in to do all of it, which is wow. give or take what I was shooting for. So, so it actually worked out pretty well, but otherwise some of your players would be like, I just want to kick a door down and kill some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we doing this whole stupid thing? Um, well, uh, to to follow up that uh, that equivalent of a primetime TV show, my Saturday morning cartoon went as follows. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Golden Pals are still they're 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 in Avernus. Again, no spoilers. Um, but last night, I hit we we're we're at the end of a chapter. So, um, and in it, they were like, "Oh, well, this thing needs to be done, and they need uh, a a, a, a like a special." heroic item to use in it that will be used up when they do the thing but then they're also like also they could just find that item downstairs i'm like well that's not interesting well, yeah <laughs> so i decided that again because this is like a big moment um this is the end of a chapter and whatnot i decided i wanted to do something where they actually had to make a hard choice so what i changed it to was you need to uh one of you needs to pick an item you have that represents heroism or sacrifice. And you have to be part of this ritual and that item will be destroyed in it. <gasps> wow. Oh man. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And so my players spent probably 20 minutes or so like going over it. And like it ranged from everything to like my one of the paladins being like, I will give up my holy avenger, and everyone's like, Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> to, to uh to Uthal, of course, being like, Well, 
you know, I've had this string with me since the beginning of the campaign, and it's been through a lot with me. <laughs> to which I then said, that string actually is why you have the lucky feet. And he goes, you know, this string could just stay right in my pocket. Um, <laughs> but um, my my sister's character, she actually gave up the sun sword. Oh, oh. wow. And and that's and, uh, they don't know this, uh, and I don't really care if they hear it or not because they don't know what it means. But that sword is actually the one from Curse of Strahd. Oh uh, yeah. wow! Yeah, okay. I, and so I that that's gone through a few campaigns, changing hands here and there because I have mm-hmm. those two campaigns separated by about two hundred years, uh-huh. and so I'm like they don't even know how big of a moment they just made this even more. And now I have to figure out what this means. Oh, this is so cool. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we can reapproach that in our topic one too. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, a lot of people almost died and it was great. <laughs> <laughs> they got better. <laughs> uh, Allie, how are your games? Uh, I actually didn't uh have any games this week but we did have like a little session zero which was kind of fun to go um we met up through discord with our buddy adam and we pretty much did a session zero for an eberron campaign oh nice yeah and so like the thing is like with me personally i i'm not a huge i wouldn't say i'm not a huge fan it's just that i don't know anything about eberron i have the book (laughs) but it's mostly just a artificer like index thing um so it's like i came into that thinking i'm not really interested but we'll see how it goes and then like eventually i'm like okay well i I can have a gun and they're like yes i'm like okay maybe i can get into this and they're like okay well what if like what if i'm an accountant what (laughs) and they're like like, what if i'm an accountant for a bad guy and they're like all right and i'm like okay what if i'm an accountant for a bad guy and the bad guy just got murdered by the hero and so now i'm an accountant for the hero and we're kind of working with that and we're thinking about doing it and so basically i'm hanging out with my patrol officer who's gonna be (laughs) spencer and i'm just like yeah i'm gonna be just this this springly little intelligent goblin that (laughs) is just gonna be running around with a gun and it's gonna be great but um, I love the idea of a D&D accountant. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you know how expensive dungeons are to run? <laughs> like, do you know the insurance rates to keep up all those minions? It's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we messed around with that kind of concept for a while. And, and it was it was good kind of getting that session zero, because like I said, I, I'm not familiar with Eberron at all. And just finally being able to do that was it was nice to get that little mini intro because I'm like, awesome. I can also build a character that. Her, her focus is so like tied in that I don't know too much about everything else. And so it works out. Um, I did, I did realize real quick. Uh, you said you didn't do any games that reminded me that uh, you weren't there for the Pathfinder game that we yeah. did. We actually did a one shot. Um, uh, Ike ran it and it was his first time really running Pathfinder second edition, but also uh sponsor of the show and listener of the show, Brian Schmidt was in it. Uh, and, yeah. uh, it was, it was a lot of fun, um, getting to, you know, hang out with some friends and, uh, play Pathfinder second edition and, uh, 
you know, find some of the kinks that are in it, but uh, <laughs> some people only almost died again. And uh, but it was it was a it was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I liked Ike's reaction later of like I cut out so much stuff that uh, because I didn't realize how much time it was going to take that I'm just going to tell you all in Discord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was funny just seeing the names afterwards and having no context from my perspective. It's just like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, mm-hmm. One of our players, Caleb, found out uh, how our, our attacks of opportunity work in Pathfinder, and he was not pleased. Because <laughs> <laughs> his character in Pathfinder First Edition was literally all about opportunity attacks. Mm. He had a monk that would uh, walk up, hit you, trip you, attack you on the way down, and then when you stood back up, attack you again. <laughs> and wow. then get another thing in from it. And he's like, the, the what now? But yeah. Uh, all right. Let's move over into some broadsheets and go through some news real quick. First off, Wizards of the Coast has announced uh, a new Icons of the Realm set for Curse of Strahd, and they are called the Legends of Barovia. These are two sets of minifigures, which you know what they are when you buy them, which is a concept I love. I love it. Uh, <laughs> and they have a bunch of main uh, stay characters in the adventure. Uh, one of them has Strahd. One of them has uh, Babalazaga, and uh, a, a bunch of really cool, really n- so far nicely detailed minifigures that uh, I instantly wanted, and mm-hmm. will probably get. <laughs> <laughs> I, when when I do, I'll take a picture of the the Wiz Kids one, and then the uh, one Allie painted for me. <laughs> oh God! Don't compare me, please. <laughs> Yours is great. Hush. <laughs> Everyone I've ever shown that mini to has gushed at it. Oh, you know uh, what? I, okay, my problem is I keep forgetting before I fixed his face. I keep remembering that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she she painted him at one point that she looked at and she went, I need to give him a facelift and makeup. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, Strahd is not a puffy man. He has sharp <laughs> cheekbones. I need to fix this. <laughs> he did a great job. It looks fantastic. <laughs> Um, next piece of news, uh, Wizards t- uh, today that we're recording this a few days before for you listening to this, uh, released a new survey uh, for D&D and their tweet was help shape future D&D products by taking this survey. Tell us about uh, the resources you play slash DM and the tools that could help you in your play. We'd especially like to hear from fans who have uh, been, uh, what is it? Oh, oh, oh. We let, uh, especially like to hear from fans who have been unrepresented histor- uh, historically. Mm-hmm. What is that? What I said? Underrepresented. I can't read. Why do I try to do that? Um, <laughs> so, um, Eric, you said that you took it, right? I did. Yeah, I did yeah. it uh, earlier. Well, we completed it over several little sessions. <laughs> yeah, this morning. It, and Allie, you were at school, so that you you. No, you, I, you... I took it. It took about oh, twenty minutes for me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um. Yeah. So the survey uh was kind of all over the place, but like kind of in a good way. Um. It it uh had everything from like what editions have you played? How long have you played? What do you do when you prep? What do you do as a player when you get ready to play the game? What do what you online... prioritize? What do you find important? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I felt like it was a a pretty good survey all around, but it was so long and varied that I don't know what they were going for. (laughs) However, because I shared it um, at the office with folks, and uh, uh, one of the people was like, they always wanted to play D&D, but they hadn't played D&D. And like the first question is, have you played D&D? And they said no. And then they're like, thanks for the survey. And they're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) It was really quick for me. (laughs) <laughs> well like 
So that's kind of the fun part about like statistics and filling out, making these surveys and stuff is that you need to get both sides of those when you are making surveys. So I'm glad that that was still an option. (laughs) Well, it was quick though. It would have been probably nice to have like, uh, no, but I, I'm really interested in D and D or something. And then it could be like, you know, what gets you interested in it? Are you maybe forgotten realm novels or you're watching some streams Mm -hmm. probably, or, you know, whatever it is. I suspect, you know, Working in a video game company that makes a licensed Dungeons and Dragons is probably not a Dungeons video game is not an option that would show up as a common thing, though that would be better, but yeah. At least an other. At least like a type your own response in or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh but yeah, so go go take that survey to let wizards know how they can shape this product going forward. Yep. Uh, last piece of news is one we missed last week uh, uh, is uh, Idol Champions right now. Uh, you know, n- n- no relevance right now at all or anything like that. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not uh, really talking about Idol Champions, so. <laughs> um, the, yes, yes. Uh, so Idol Champions is having a DLC retirement sale. Uh, mm-hmm. There are several pieces of DLC that are going to be retired in September. And so each week they are going to put one of uh, several of these on sale at different uh, discounts. So, uh, for instance, right now, starting uh, on the 12th, uh, Vizier. Uh, oh, my God. I've never said that Tressum. word out loud. Tressum. I've never said it out loud before. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking that too. I'm like, oh, don't, don't, don't throw it to me. <laughs> uh, Vizier, Tressum, and uh, Stokey, uh, those three, uh, or two of those are familiars, and then one of them is a skin and then uh, Calliope's is also a skin um, and then for uh, week three starting on uh, August 19th is Barn Owl Flumph, uh, Makos and Deacon uh, you know for familiars and costumes as they go I'm going to get that Flump so I'm, I'm going to I want to <laughs> hug it like as soon as I buy it I'm going to hug my smartphone just so I can hug a Flump um, yeah as soon as the, that party system came in I'm like oh I need so many more familiars <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, seriously. Uh, me, too, me too. And I have them all. And I'm like, oh my God. Is there any? <laughs> I literally went into our back end to see if there was any that were in the game but not released yet that I could just turn on into my account. <laughs> <laughs> now that is a uh, is a nice luxury to have. <laughs> oh, you're only using released familiars? Luxury. <laughs> um uh, week four, uh, my absolute favorite uh, grouping of Lulu and Trash Panda. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I need it. I need both of them. Uh, and also the Grove Keeper Walnut Skin. Um, and then uh, two things that are being retired without sale uh, is going to be the Explorers Pack and the Founders uh, Pack 2, which totally makes sense that those wouldn't go on sale. I have been, I've been telling myself to buy that freaking Founders Pack <laughs> for so long. <laughs> and, some, and I always go, and I'm like, Oh, I'll get that familiar. What was I doing here again? Oh. <laughs> Isn't so, that like pretty much how you you started the game? You bought I did. The, found, the first Founders Pack. I did. That was uh, the first night I was playing after spending nine straight hours in the game. I went, well, I'm just going to buy that. I need a beholder. <laughs> yeah, I remember going into the kitchen and be like, how many chests do you have? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I'm sort of like, Allie, I have chests. And she just looks at me with like her hands on her head, just like, what? <laughs> do you know how long that's taken me? <laughs> uh, but yeah, so go check out those uh, and keep an eye on those sales because they're they're really good. I I, I got a what, what I got a abyssal chicken last week. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, let's, we're going to move into the broadsheets now. This is, again, a reminder that our fundraiser uh, in partner with Shouting in Place podcast is going on. Uh, we have two T-shirts, one that has the Difficulty Class logo. Uh, mm-hmm. All proceeds from that go to Color of Change. And our Read the Table uh, shirt uh, and all proceeds from that go to Black Table Artists. Again, we're making no money off of this. Uh, and you can uh, either buy a shirt and the, uh, left, the remainder gets sent to them. Or you can just donate directly to the foundation uh, without getting a shirt if you want to do that. Either way, we very much appreciate anything that you can do for it. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah. I hope you like the shirt. I just got I, I got my Shouting in Place shirt yesterday from the first uh, month that Shouting I in Place saw, did it. I'm excited to get mine. <laughs> it's cool. Um, all right. Last but not least, before we move into topics, let's do some Champions loot. And we once again with Eric here have a, have a little bit of a special one. Mm-hmm. Eric, what, what, what's this chest going to give them? This chest will unlock a Modron chest for them, this code. <laughs> yeah. oh, they, they One new- Modron chest, the new Modron system. <laughs> yes, uh, if you have not checked out uh, this uh, pipe dream of a <laughs> of a system, uh, I I highly recommend it because it adds a whole new dimension to the game. Not to mention the friggin' splitting the party thing, which when I saw what happened there, I was like, "This lets me do so much more stuff." Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, this uh, the code that I'm about to read will get you a Modron chest. Uh, so here we go with the code. It is Z I N C. S E M E I N K Y. Put that into Isle Champions on any of the platforms available, and you will get a Modron chest. Well, highly sought after. Thank you very much for uh, to Eric and everyone at uh, <laughs> Codename for uh, letting us do that one. Very much appreciated. Um, all right, and uh, you know, because I, I say it every week, you know, it's a Modron, but still, kick people's butt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, topic number one, which was uh, which was brought to the table by Eric, uh, which is storytelling as a DM. So, mm-hmm. Eric, why don't you start telling? Like, because you, you and I talked a little bit on Twitter about why this came to mind. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, and actually, the the timing of the that survey from uh, Wizards and Dungeons and Dragons about Dungeons and Dragons is perfect because I was going through that survey, filling it out, and uh, they had the whole section about. Um, DMs and DMing, which was great. Some of the other surveys haven't talked so much about DMing, which given that I almost always DM, I was kind of like, oh, there's not a lot for me in this survey. I felt the same yeah. way. <laughs> right, right? Um, so it was great to see so much about uh, being a DM and you know, sort of what was important in being a DM. And they had this, this one quality, which I will read you the quote because I sort of highlighted it because I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. Okay. I'm having this conversation. So uh, you were to rate whether, you know, from like super important to not important at all, um, these different qualities of a DM, and one of them being storyteller. And here's the definition that they gave. Weaves a compelling story using spoken words, both by portraying characters with distinct voices and describing locations and objects in an engaging way. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that for me, that definition of storytelling has really been the one that has been kind of paramount in my brain from the time like, I was like 12 when I first played D&D. And for whatever reason, that was what I really gravitated towards is like, that must be storytelling. And I'm not good at that. (laughs) I'm not good at telling a compelling story using spoken words. I can't do accents to save my life or just... Um, And I think I'm only okay in describing locations and objects in an engaging way. And so 
for years and years and years, I've had people outside of me say, oh, I played D&D with you. You are a great storyteller. And I've said, no, I'm not. Hmm. Because of that definition in my head, I am not using spoken words to tell uh, that compelling story. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and it was really, I think, I'm one of the reasons that I'm really happy to kind of be back and explore the topic more, but chatting with you guys a bit, both, you know, sort of around the last episode and during the last episode around storytelling and really kind of challenging my own ideas about kind of that particularly the spoken word and like your ability to do kind of distinctive voices and stuff like that, all those kind of character accents and kind of really challenging that as like the definition. I'm not saying it isn't a definition, but that it's the definition of storytelling, particularly in relation to being a DM or just really in relation to telling stories more broadly. Um, And so that's been an interesting thing for kind of me to ponder over the last bit. And so I so it's kind of opening up like how much more, uh, diverse, if to use that term, storytelling is than just kind of spoken word and accent, and maybe some of the things that, like obviously Matt Mercer is incredibly good at sort of those things, and you know mm-hmm. he's a voice actor, and so he do all the voice acting things, and you know a lot of us aren't voice actors, and I can't, like I said, I couldn't do an accent to save my life, <laughs> um, or at least not for more than like two words in a row that's the same accent before it changes to something else, and then three sentences later is like completely laughable as a totally <laughs> um, so but yeah so that that i mean so telling story through kind of like we were talking earlier about the about physical props and stuff and mm-hmm. i think covid's really underscored to me just how the physical nature of my games is how i tell story mm-hmm. and, and trying to do things remotely um it's like telling a story when you you're missing most of your vocabulary <laughs> It's yeah. like, yeah, I, but I can't tell that story because I have all these words I can't use because I can't do <laughs> things. Because like when I'm like even the pictures that I put on Twitter and stuff of the props that I make, what's actually missing in those pictures is a lot of times I think a lot about the um, like the, the texture of the paper, the thickness, the weight of the paper, um, the smell, uh, though I have to say I use a lot of coffee when I'm aging things. So it just smells like coffee, which I like. <laughs> I'm not opposed to that. That sounds like a good game to me. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's at a point my players will smell it and be like, okay, does it smell like a clue? Because this one also smells like coffee. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, certainly like these other kind of aspects of it that don't translate in the, um, in kind of the digital form, even on Twitter as pictures of a prop and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So. Yeah, so that was that's what I thought was kind of interesting, sort of a, a, a maybe more robust kind of understanding or discussion around storytelling, especially in relation to being a DM beyond the like, oh, if I can't do voices like a trained voice actor for all my NPCs, am I a bad DM? Because I do no. think there's some people that I've heard say that to me and I'm like, oh, no, I really don't think that's the case. That is mm-hmm. one aspect, but it's not the only way of telling story. Yeah. No, I mean, like I can definitely relate to having those hardships because of having to go digital because I didn't realize how heavily I did rely on being able to physically point at the table and being like, this is where you are. This is where the bad guys are. Even when it comes to just like a simple encounter, it's I kind of was using that crutch of like both the the terrain and the mat and the minis. And even when describing size comparison, like giants. I like kind of never actually described them before because I had minis 
like here like this yeah like oh yeah these are your guys's minis and i'd be like you're that tiny and then this is a giant and they're three times your size <laughs> and that's it but it's like then i realized oh that's kind of i really really depend on like those physical aspects for when i do my storytelling and even now when i do like online discord we actually have a whole entire channel in the in the uh server that i made for the game and it's just pictures for Allie's sake that's what it's called because <laughs> if there's like a picture i'm like here's and i just take a i rapidly take a picture of something in the book that i'm using and i just put it in there i'm like look at that that's what this is <laughs> and it's like and i do that with this map that i have printed out at home and it's it we talked about it when uh last time you were on about how they like would stand over the table and like look at the map like spread out before them now i take pictures of the map in like certain parts and i'm like so instead of me being able to just point at the map i have to like do an extra step <laughs> mm-hmm. and i find it's kind of like it, it doesn't it, i didn't really realize how much i i used those physical props in my storytelling until we went digital and that, that's definitely been a, a, a situation for me. And I've had to come up with creative solutions like that Discord little server. But it's it's been interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, one thing, just um, just the, the one word that you used, obviously, lots of great things that you said. I used the, uh, D, the minis and the train as a crutch. And mm-hmm. then you kind of said a bunch of other stuff. And, and to me, it's like, you know, at least I, I'm kind of like, well, yes, I can't do it with spoken word, but that doesn't make it a crutch to use props or minis or terrain because there's a mm-hmm. whole bunch of, I think, care and attention that, you know, yeah. DMs who use those things really put into how do I, you know, how do I get the, the, the giant mini that's going to really be the one and maybe I'm going to modify it a bit and paint it a bit and stuff like that because it's really part of the storytelling that you're using. But I think there's this like, primacy of kind of this written word and thinking of kind of great storytellers, you know, Tolkien writing stories and sort of Patrick Rothfuss or Brandon Sanderson, someone writing stories. And so we see this kind of primacy of like, at least I, I, I mean, maybe not other people, I have seen this kind of primacy of, you know, well, those are storytellers. You know, I have to use these crutches of like these props and this and that and the other thing to, to backfill for this deficit that I have where I can't do that other thing. And kind of like, I don't know, for all my kind of thinking about it, I'm like, screw all that. Like, <laughs> like it's, it doesn't have to be. It's just like, that's how I do that. It's not like yeah. good or bad. It's not a primacy of one is better than the other, which is honestly how I very much approach it. And I think how that definition and being phrased in that survey kind of frames it um, as compared to saying, like, actually, you know, there's like a, a strong tradition and uh, the epistolary novels are like oh, a strong tradition God, yeah. of kind of telling stories through kind of all of these other ways of framing words and stuff like that, which to me very much come as props or like the epistolary novel S, which literally comes as pieces. Oh, that my are in God. There like that, right. Eric, you're making me so happy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was happy. When, I was like the writer in me. I'm like, oh my god, he said epistolary. Oh god, he's referencing S. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, we have this notion of novels. I have this notion of novels that like novels, novels kind of fit this box. Yeah. Of, you know, like this omnipresent third party kind of writing what happens, and that's fantastic. Um, you know, well, no novels, but I can't like I I like I can't tell a story that way for myself, and I always thought of that as lesser. And then I'm like, oh, look, there's all these other people who can't either. And I think, yeah. I think the way to put it, because I've been, I've been thinking this like the whole time that the two of you were talking is that like, um, that's how you 
guys tell stories and that's not bad. That's your method of storytelling. You're still telling a story with those different ways. Like what, what I was kind of realizing while I was doing it was like, Oh yeah. Like I think the reason why I like doing theater of the mind and you know why I don't mind running on discord and stuff because I don't use a lot of maps is because I am a writer and I'm not saying that like, Oh, look at me. I'm a writer. Um, but like I've written four novels. So I have the headspace of like describing stuff. And so I enjoy doing storytelling in a way where I'm describing to the player what they're seeing. That's, but, and I'm like, and I know a lot of people are like, Oh, well, I wish I could do that. But at the same time, I wish I could do what Eric does with, like the 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 puzzle that he did and like the the shot that you showed of the broom with it etched in there i'm like that's amazing and that's such good storytelling in there and then the way ali the way that you do maps and you have the ship and you the the stories that you come up with with your players at the table and the ways that you do it is much different from how i do it so it's still storytelling in the same it's it is still storytelling in different ways yeah um and as long as there is a story, I, there, I don't think there is a wrong way to tell, to be a storyteller in it. And in fact, like, I, I know that this topic is called storytelling as a DM. However, like you, everyone at the table is a storyteller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, everyone has a part. Yeah. Like I, I definitely want to do a sequel topic to this at some point of storytelling as a player. Um, But like the, the ways that I might describe something I know I'm going to miss something. And I know that because I've described something before and then I'll show them the picture that's in the book. And they're like, wait, what's that? I'm like, oh yeah. Um, probably should have said that. (laughs) (laughs) So like, even like, I, like, I'm not even gonna, I don't think anyone that does theater of the mind or that is like, I'm a storyteller that weaves a tale that tells the players they they forget stuff. Like that's just how it is. And so having that visual aid is almost a better way of doing it because like, like what Eric was saying with like, you think about the weight of the paper, like what kind it is, how old it is and stuff like that. That's something for them to touch and feel and be like, okay, I understand this. That's not something that I can perfectly describe to them and them understand without doing a Brandon Sanderson page size description. <laughs> I probably wouldn't use um, the, the like, I wouldn't call it being a better way. I would call it being an easier way. Well, that, that's the, like, I don't, I don't think that like easier or like better is the thing. Like it, that's what I'm trying to say is like, everything is, the storyteller way like whatever you do to get the story across even to yourself or your players is valid it's a good way Mm -hmm. to do it yeah and i mean like my earlier what i was saying earlier is is just evidence that um eric you're not alone in your initial thinking of like how uh like the word is a superior thing because obviously i did it subconsciously using the word crutch yeah, yeah. And like I didn't realize that until after it was pointed out. <laughs> so like, yeah, like even though I, I wasn't fully aware, like subconsciously, I must have been thinking or feeling that at least. Yeah, or but, yeah, realizing when it's taken away, you're like, oh, I was really relying on that. Maybe another way of thinking about a crutch, right? Because yeah, mm-hmm. I, I sort of felt almost like I couldn't speak when I was thinking about doing, uh, you know, remote play when COVID first hit. Because I was running mm-hmm. four different games, and suddenly I just like. I'm like, I don't, and I didn't even, I, I, I struggled to put in to words, well, I guess that's sort of a theme for me, um, <laughs> uh, why I 
why I, I was having so much issue. And so it's kind of it's, it's my, my little journey as a DM through these COVID times has been really re-examining kind of like, mm. oh, this is why that was an issue. And then this kind of realization of my own thoughts about storytelling and how I really didn't feel I could use that word associate. Like I would tell people, no, I am not that. I even at one point thought about writing this kind of Twitter thing saying, I don't think I'm a storyteller. God damn it. Stop saying that to me. Um, <laughs> um, and so kind of, I'm, I'm glad I didn't write that in hindsight. Um, you know, so this kind of reexamination of my own kind of bias about that and my own kind of approach to it, and then kind of really coming to this other place with it and going like, oh no, actually, I think that there's lots of, lots of ways of telling stories. And the mm -hmm. question isn't good or bad, but really more what's good for you and what doesn't work for you. And, mm -hmm. really and and I think one of the things that I just adore about um, Dungeons and Dragons as a hobby, TRPGs as a hobby, is that it kind of it creates a space that all of that is okay. So you know, all three of us can DM games and all provide incredible experiences to our players. And some of us may rely on storytelling with spoken words, and some of us not, and some of us might do great character voices, and some of us not, but it, mm -hmm. it's all okay, and the experience can still be fantastic oh, yeah. for players, right? And that, I just absolutely adore that about Dungeons & Dragons. It doesn't have to have that primacy of word, even though we still reinforce it. Like the survey today that literally went out today more or less reinforces that by defining storyteller as using spoken words. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because like there, there's there's so many different ways to tell a story. And, and again, going back to what you're saying with the epistolary way, like Dracula is an epistolary novel. Um, uh, and the way that S does it, uh, like you were saying, like it. So the so for people who don't know, S is I was a book, just about to ask. Yeah, so <laughs> S is a, uh, actually what's funny, uh, uh, Ali, your stepmom got me this book. Uh, oh. <laughs> um, so um, it is a book that when you take it out of the the, the sleeve, it it doesn't say S on it. It says uh, Voyage of Theseus, and it is presented as a novel, a, a fake novel written by an, an author who was just shrouded in mystery. No one knew who he was. No one knows what happened to him. And in the margins of this book are two people who have not met writing back and forth to each other, trying to solve the mystery of who this author is. Oh. And so it, the premise is, is that so uh, they, they take it, they write a note in it and they put it back on the shelf and the other person comes, take it off the shelf. And as they're going through it, like someone might uh, be like, oh, did you see this in the news today? And they have the newspaper slid into the book. And so you take the newspaper out and you read what they're talking about. And it's, it's an amazing way to do something. And really, now that I'm thinking about it, amazing way you could do some D&D &D stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so like there, there's different ways of storytelling because what you keep talking about, Eric, with uh, with like voice acting and like accents and stuff like there are people who role play in a way that you're almost putting on a play. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're saying that there is only the spoken word way of doing it. I, I agree with you. It doesn't fit it because there's different ways of doing it. But to kind of to kind of move the, the topic forward, um, the way that I look at the table, because we I, I, we've said on the show for a long time, if you're sitting down to prep for a game and you are get, uh, outlining to the point that you're writing what your players are going to do, you're outlining a book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So really like the, the best way for me to look at the table is that like discovery writing. So there, 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 there's two forms of, well, there's more than that, but there are two main forms of writing where an outliner, someone who sits down, outlines their book, 
what everything's going to happen. And then they write it out as such. And then there's discovery writers who just kind of fly by the seat of their pants and they might not have any information before sitting down at the, at the keyboard and they just start writing. Stephen King is infamously a, uh, a, a discovery writer and says outlines kill books. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But really that's kind of what you're doing at the table because you have like your rough outline as a DM, but you have no control over what your players are going to do. And responding to that is that kind of form of discovery writing where something may come out of left field. Uh, mm-hmm. George R. R. Martin, who well, has some things going on right now, but he said that like he's been writing Game of Thrones and all of a sudden a character does something he wasn't planning on happening. Yeah. And that has like he said that Jamie's storyline completely changed because Jamie did something he wasn't expecting. And that's exactly like with being a DM, your player might do something that you weren't expecting. Oh, um, yeah. And you respond to it in a way that still informs and tells the story. I mean, Trevor, you know that best because you played Storm King's Thunder. You ran Storm King's Thunder. But where did you end up? <laughs> I, I, uh, my players end up in Chult. Yeah, so there was that bullet points that you're supposed to hit, but you adjusted when your players I, made decisions. I will never forget my players being like, "All right, we're gonna go to Chulton and 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 find the Ring of Winter." I, I just went, "Hang on, I have to go get a different campaign book." <laughs> 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 and I got up from the computer, went and got Tomb of Annihilation, and came back. I went, "All right." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that just for me personally, I know I like to outline like I've never written anything like sat down and wrote chapters or anything like that. But like I know based on how I take notes, that outlining is my the best way that I'd go about things and especially with how I go into DMing too. And it's more of a loose outline of things that have nothing to do with the actual players because like. I know in about six months, this person will be doing this thing. And if somehow the players affect that, then I go back to the outline and adjust things. Oh, now that and so, is like, interesting. Using that for my storytelling, I, it's not necessarily putting them on a straight path because these you're are set, things that will happen goal, no matter what. Though. Yeah. You're, you're being like, I know we're going towards this. So I'll try to work things in that you know, lead to that plot line. That's cool. Mm-hmm. And like, if the players do something that does adjust things wildly, then I will just end up being like, all right, so what are like bullet points changed because of their actions? Like that, that's the number one thing when it comes to like my kind of storytelling is that it's never like just frozen in place, always going to happen because something will be changed because they're the protagonists of this story (laughs) and i hope things change if they do stuff (laughs) because otherwise i think it'd be a pretty boring story for me (laughs) well i think i've got um uh one of my kids is in a game um and the dm is a first time dm and was really into like wanting to write a novel and so was like so prescriptive with the players on kind of like you have to then go do this and open this door Mm -hmm. and, and and was kind of missing the like, no, no, that's not that that is like a novel and you might as well write a novel. That's not, yeah. you know, 
creating this story with your players and letting them go, I'm not going to open that door. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to kill this NPC. Like, oh, you can't kill that NPC. You're like, yeah, well, I'm going to anyways. (laughs) They have the oblivion, like little crown icon on them. (laughs) Um, one One of my other kids, when he was first, one of his first games he was planning, the first time he's DMing and, um, He'd played a huge amount of video games. And so he, we were kind of breaking it down together, like talking about kind of how it was going to go. And um, and he had kind of like the characters are in this dark room and then they get surprised by this person. Um, and then the person ended up being an NPC who was going to say something that was super important to them. And I'm like, well, what happens if your characters who are armed to their teeth basically uh, are surprised in a dark room? They're probably going to kill the character. And, and his first, because, you know, this is his first time DMing, and he was much younger, actually, at the time. And he was like, oh, well, they can't kill that character. That's a quest-giving NPC. So <laughs> 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 used to kind of like, you know, computer uh, games like, you know, Fallout or whatever, where, yeah. like, oh, you can't, you just can't kill that character, no matter how much you might want to kill that character. Yep, just the classic Halo 2 moment where it's like, why won't this sergeant die? <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. that's why. <laughs> yeah, like, I... Uh... Um, what what I was saying earlier is like you know like oh I'm a writer so I wouldn't describe thing but the thing is though I I would probably say that if you are a writer who's been writing for a real long time and you want to give uh, your hand at DMing uh, oh you you have it actually a more uphill battle than you think <laughs> because <laughs> you don't have the control that you would outlining a book mm-hmm. and you don't have you have to be so much more on your toes of like. Like you were saying, how do they get this information? Usually in that situation, um, I will have might have planned out three different ways they have to get that information. Or I'll just be like, you know what? If it happens, it happens. And I'll find another way to get it to them as we go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At DMing, you have to be very flexible. You're like, especially if there's an important thing, you're like, "I, I need them to get this. And then you need like a couple of different ways. And I'm like, I'll try this way and that might not work, in which case I've got these other fallback ways, in which case. Mm-hmm. I so, yeah. yeah. I mean, one, one thing that I found about um, like doing, particularly for me doing the paper props, like, cause I do a bunch of different kinds of stuff, but like the paper pieces, which I end up writing is in my idea of a storyteller, it's someone who kind of like you were describing about, writer writer writers who are like oh well then the character just did a thing mm-hmm. and like i didn't control that it just sort of happened and that i'm just kind of kind of a conduit for it in some way or something like that like the character just did a thing so yeah. i just did the thing and i went with it um and well there's sort of the experience of the players of course just doing the things they're going to do um one of the reasons that i like write the pieces is um, like the, the actual props is because I couldn't do that in like a written text that's just sort oh, of like no. notes or something, but I can, I, I can, it's a way for me to understand the NPCs really well because the NPCs can speak to me when I'm writing, when I'm creating yeah. a prop. The NPCs don't speak to me so well if I'm just making notes or something like that and I'm prepping for a game, but making the props for an NPC help me to understand who that NPC's voice is. And they can kind of speak to me in that way, in a way that they do not speak to me if I'm just staring at a, you know, Google Doc or something like that. Oh, yeah. And, and I'm sure those those NPCs then have a way of, you know, in a way speaking to the players when they look at those pieces, which is something mm-hmm. I absolutely couldn't do reliably if I was just doing theater of the mind on discord. 
I, I wouldn't be able to, you know, not without them. Like, you know, if I say like, oh, and there's a smudge in this spot, they're like, okay, there's something about that sponge. He, he said something about <laughs> it. You gotta check that out. Um, so like, yeah, like when I say things, that's the other thing. I have to be careful with what I say because I know my players will fixate on it. <laughs> but uh, it, it will, it, when you have that prop there in front of you, there is a a story that they are getting without you saying anything and which is an yeah. amazing way for them to get it. Um, something that I kind of thought of while we were talking about all this is that recently in school, we uh, I'm, I'm in a class essentially, which is learning how to study properly. And we pretty much took an entire uh, online testing thing that showed us what type of learner we are. Um, and I personally learned I'm, heavily leaning towards being an auditory learner pretty much if i can hear it or if i tell someone it i retain that information better and but there's other types of learning styles there's auditory mm -hmm. visual tactile kinesthetic for example and it's like i'm really curious if like your learning style also correlates oh. to your storytelling style mm. huh. because like for someone who is more like visual like where you see words essentially as opposed to like actual pictures or instead of being able to talk like i wonder if that would adjust how you go about storytelling or even even if there isn't a correlation there of like finding you know doing that kind of test for a dm it's like what kind of storyteller are you yeah because be i'd be very curious to see if like how, how people would be able to figure that out yeah yeah <laughs> uh, that's uh, the, the last part i, I know uh, th this talk's going a little long, but I, I wanted to do one more part of this, which is um, telling a story with your players. Mm -hmm. So, like, your players come to the table with, uh, you know, they might come to the table with the backstory, they might not, they but they come to the table with a character. Yeah. And they are part of the story because they're what's moving it along. <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a, a Batman story, then it's the villains doing it. Um, <laughs> but, um, so... What ways do you guys use to tell to to tell a story with your players to to help their characters express a story or become more integral to it? Uh, I think I was kind of like approaching that earlier, where the I, I'm simply someone who has a world that these guys are in it, mm -hmm. and as far as moving time forward or anything happening along those lines in said world usually it revolves around them and their choices. Mm -hmm. And so giving them the the freedom of choice in that world is really what moves that story forward. And like without the players, this story would be kind of like, all right, um, about 40 years later, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this event happens, I guess. <laughs> so it's like, have D and D is like the one of the coolest things where it's 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 the form of media where the consumers are also the creators, mm -hmm. <laughs> I believe. So it's like the players who who are the only people who are hearing this story are also making it. Yeah, <laughs> and so yeah, it's and like without the players, I don't think you really could tell the story. So you were talking earlier about the uh, the like setting, like the oh, I know that this is going to happen. Do you do that for with your your players' characters at all or anything like that? Where you're like weaving them towards something or just let them let them do it unless it's like a very specific kind of like prophetic kind of thing where it's like oh this is the prophecy you're going to do this at some point in your life and they're aware of that 
mm-hmm. or they find out about it some way. No, I have no plan for them because <laughs> then in that way, I'll be steering them in a way. And I feel like that kind of almost robs them of of their choices that they can do mm-hmm. um, as players. Because that like in that survey that we did, there was a question of like, oh, what do you do as a player to prep? And that made me think like, wait, do people prep as players? <laughs> Is that a thing I should be doing? <laughs> That's a thing that I've always felt that I should be doing and I always fail at doing. Yeah. And it's like, I, <laughs> so it made me think like, well, if my players are thinking that far ahead into their own personal like goals, like for example, one of my players, she's told me recently, hey, my character recently figured out that she wants to become a god. <laughs> <laughs> Um, is there like a way for me to do this? And I'm like, there could be, you, your character would have to research that. She's like, ah, oh, but my character doesn't like research. I'm like, yeah, you're going to have to figure that out. <laughs> and so it's like, my players can tell me their goals and stuff. And I can, as a DM, tell them like, it's, you totally could figure out if these goals are attainable. Mm-hmm. I, I don't tell, I don't ever really tell them straight up like, oh yeah, this is how you get from A to B. Yeah. And like and then I plan for that because planning doesn't really work out very well in <laughs> <game> players. <laughs> what 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 about you, Eric? Um I mean I think kind of coming back to sort of what Ali was saying about different learning styles. Um I had never I actually thought about it in relation to DMs um and kind of like different approaches to the different types of storytelling. Um but I have thought about it in relation to my players and kind of because a different like I got some players who you know love writing lots of stuff and so creating space that they can have sort of those ways of engaging with the game and then players mm. who have zero interest in that and want to kind of <laughs> like act out more and improv more and so recognizing kind of those different styles and I know one of the things that uh, I guess skipping ahead a little bit I don't know we, we want to talk about how to prep but one of the things mm. is I I'll think about the different things that I'm doing in a session that I've kind of got in my head and kind of be thinking about how does that let different groups of my players shine because of not so much their class or something like that, but just kind of how they like to play the game and Mm -hmm. the kind of storytellers that they are recognizing that it's kind of this shared story that we're creating where, you know, I kind of think of like my role as a DM is I'm the storyteller of the world and they're the storyteller of the heroes. And together, we create this story that we all get to witness together that it's hopefully one of heroic journey. Actually, one of my table rules, I said, like, straight up, as I'm like, you guys may start as, in, as uh, players that don't know each other as characters, but you will end up as the best friends in the world who will die for each other. That is the arc <laughs> the journey we are on. And That's beautiful. No, no PvP in our game. Our game is you guys all coming together. That is just a rule of the table. And if you don't like that rule, you're happy to play somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, because it's just what well, parts that I'm playing, you know, kids and all this kind of, well, yeah. uh, my my children who are no longer. <laughs> uh, Your children yeah. who are adults. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, pretty much, pretty much. My children who I can legally drink with. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so but but, but I want it kind of to be like this. The, the bounds of this is we're going to create this epic story together. That's what yeah. I I personally want to get out of it. Um, so yeah, that, what what you said there with the like I'm the storyteller of the world. They're the storyteller heroes. Like that's that's beautiful. That, that, that's a straight that right quote. There. You could put yeah. that on a shirt. That's good. Hundred percent. A hundred percent. What I'm about to say, I'm probably going to get laughed at. <laughs> 
with my with my players, I end up feeling like I I'm a fan fiction writer. <laughs> <laughs> not one of the dirty ones. Not one of the dirty ones. <laughs> but like I end up like I end up on the other side of the screen, I end up becoming fans of their characters. Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah. I end up doing that high school thing. I'm like, oh, man, it would be cool if this happened with that character. And, like, I I, I end up plotting these out, like, where I'm like, okay, he's got this storyline going on. This is where that will go. It will be up to him and me playing through the game to see how he gets there. Uh, and it, and I don't mean that in a railroady way. It's literally, like, that's the end goal, like, this is the secret that he's trying to figure out. That's all it is. And then we'll figure out how he gets there. But those things I usually do based on how they're playing, how their character acts and like what we've talked about with that character previously. And I end up having this like knowledge about the character. I'm just like, Oh, I think it would be really cool if this happened. And that can come any into any form of like a personal quest that they know about and they want to do. Um, to um, a, a a twist for something they think they want, um, or even and and I did I did a topic about this a long time ago when I was talking to myself alone in my car for fifteen minutes. Um, <laughs> that was um, character twists, and that's mm-hmm. something that I don't do a lot. Fun fact: There's one in my campaign right now, and nobody Ooh. knows about it. And now they're all gonna freak out when they hear this. Um, <laughs> so. Like I do it very sparingly, but I have these storytelling elements that are in there that I will just slowly piece in and try and do foreshadowing for. And uh, sometimes it's it's straight up how I'm like, oh, the foreshadowing's not working and they're not responding at all to it. I'm just going to throw that plot line out and do something different. <laughs> you know what, though? You saying you're a fan fiction writer, that kind of made me realize like yeah, we're, we're all kind of fan fiction writers. If you're expecting like how a story will end up, that's not canon until the players make it canon. Yeah. You could plot all you like, but it's just fan fiction until the writers of the show decide to make it happen. Oh my God. I'm just thinking now, every time I look at my DM notes, I'm just going to go, that's not canon. <laughs> it's not. It's not canon until it happens. And you're not the writers of the show. Oh my God. Well, and though, I think another piece that's in that too is that you're fans though, like that truly, mm-hmm. you know, I always come to kind of love the characters that my players are bringing to the game. I'm like real fans of them. And even if I'm making them in hard situations, it's hard situations so they can rise to those tasks and become heroes and all the kind of stuff that comes out of that because of that fan piece that you just like yeah. adore them. And you're like, oh, let's give them this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my players literally tells me, he's like, dude, I ship Saphir and Roland so hard. I'm like, really, dude? He's like, yeah, their friendship goes beyond like just straight up at fighting together. I'm like, that's so interesting. I love that. <laughs> I sh- shipping. <laughs> <laughs> he's told me that those words. It's that's great. So <laughs> I just, I, one of the themes in their most recent Twitter post that I did, one of the theme in the feedback that people said, around the props that I made was that I hadn't, I, I, at least I, I, I don't know, I hadn't kind of connected in that time. It has, looking back, I'm like, oh yeah, people said that to me before, but you know, hadn't kind of clicked is that kind of all that prep that you do as a DM, which for me comes out of these props and stuff like that. But that prep kind of, it, it's, it's a very demonstrable way of you showing your love of your players and your love of those characters. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of, 
the love for that made very tangible, however you're prepping, um, which I thought was a really interesting way of kind of thinking about it. And because, of course, the people I'm playing with are literally people I love because they're, you know, close family and stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but I was kind of like, oh, yeah, it is kind of this this expression of love that you are doing as a DM in prepping for your game. You're yeah, totally absolutely. right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like thinking about all the props that I've made. I'm like, yeah, no, it's because I loved those characters and I love the people that are playing. them. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, that's. I think it's like fan fiction, like fan fiction comes out of a place of falling in love with those characters and mm -hmm. wanting to create, wanting them to kind of live in these other ways and these other worlds. And so you create this, you write fiction around it because you've fallen in love. Like it's an expression of love. Now, players, if they don't prep, I guess, for the D&D &D game, then they don't love us. I don't think there's any better way to capstone that uh, that conversation <laughs> than with that. So we're, uh, we're going to move really quickly over into our DC Spotlight of the Week, which comes from DMs Guild this time. Wow. Uh, we're going back over to our old stomping grounds of spotlighting and uh, for a beautiful book. Uh, this one is called The Tarot of Transcendent Treasures uh, by Isaac May and Ashley May. This book is incredible. You can actually preview the entire thing for free on DM's Guild. It's got the watermark, so, you know, you can't just automatically steal it. You have a money. Um, and uh, <laughs> it has one of the most beautiful covers, beautiful layouts, and beautiful interior art that I have ever seen on dm's guild it has it's a style of its own and the premise of it is this is a one magic item which is a tarot deck and each one of the cards does something in some way more than just a one sentence description like the deck of many things or the deck of illusions uh yes. this goes <laughs> yeah this goes into like i think there's some cards that have deities trapped in them uh there's ones that are sentient yeah the majority of these cards come out as items yeah. Um, and depending on how uh, you draw with the deck, uh, there's, I think, like, I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head, like 22 major, and then the rest of them are minor. And, like, the major ones can be, like, artifacts, things that yeah. can really change the world. And yeah. then, like, the the minor cards in the tarot deck are, like, or the Taroka deck are are magical items that can range from common to, like, rare or legendary status mm -hmm. kind of cards. and yeah, looking through this, uh, take it from someone who works in a bookstore and sells a ton of tarot decks. It <laughs> looks really good oh, yeah. and like really well put together. Um, uh, full disclosure, I have not purchased uh, this uh, this supplement yet because this is going to be the first one I buy in hardcover because it is so freaking pretty. Mm -hmm. uh, the hardcover is $24.99, but you can get the PDF for $9.95 or both of them together uh, for $29.95. I, even if you're not going to pick this up, do yourself a favor and go look at the Tarot of Transcendent Treasures just to admire the pretty artwork in this. Uh, and, you know, if you're not going to get it, retweet it and you know, get some more views out there. <laughs> <laughs> while we were talking, I was looking at it and have bought it while we were looking at it. Oh, hey! hey. <laughs> now, the spotlight works! I'm not talking about it. Well, um, one of the things I love about Curse of Strahd is you've got the Taroka deck and kind of this general idea of kind of cards and tarot cards and stuff like yeah. that um as sort of a theme in it and so we've kind of done a bunch of stuff around that and i'm like this is perfect for my game okay if any of players are listening dave just ignore that thing 
you know what's really great, Eric? You know, about that, I when I was looking at this, I'm like, man, this is really good for Curse of Strahd. Oh, Eric's running Curse of Strahd. This is really good for Eric. <laughs> <laughs> On the same wavelength, Trevor. I totally, yeah, I love it. So yeah, uh, we'll tweet this out uh, on Friday with the show. Uh, definitely go check it out. Terror of Transcendent Treasures is a fantastic book. All right. Uh, we are only, you know, an, a little over an hour in, but let's get to topic two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're not taking too much of your time, are we, Eric? Uh, I, I have about 25 more minutes. That's perfect. Good. Wonderful. All right. That should work. So. Uh, this one, we've actually done this one before, uh, which was how we prep, but I wanted to revisit it one because Eric is here and he has his own ways of prepping, but also Allie and mine's prepping styles have changed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Allie, you want to go first with how, how you're prepping these days? Sure. Um, so I, I'll be honest. I don't remember exactly what I said last time. So a lot of it might oh, be neither similar, do I. It's fine. I, I think a lot of it's very much changed. Um, nowadays, uh, I actually have the pleasure of having like nearly all the monster cards from Gale Force nine. Nice. And that has drastically changed how I prep things. <laughs> like before I used to meticulously write out my own monster card on an index oh card and then God. have like those index cards picked out. And then they might be happening in this session. I don't know, because like I said earlier, the players kind of decide what happens. Um, but generally if I have an idea um of where the players are gonna be or like if i know that they're going into a certain room in the next like couple sessions because that's where the hallway ends up mm-hmm. <laughs> then i have the perfect chance to actually prep ahead of time because spoiler i don't actually really prep that much <laughs> <laughs> i i said so in the survey too i'm like eh, i ca- kind of <laughs> but um yeah i i improv most of it but when i get the chance to actually look ahead i don't plan out encounters Mm -hmm. i plan out uh the possibility of what's there so like if they're i'll use storm king's thunder for example like i know if they're going to go into like a uh, ice lodge there could be ice methods that they might deal with they don't have to deal with them but they could be there and so i would pull out the ice method stat block and be like all right there it is and then i would consider like depending on how many people show up to the session that day, I'd be like, all right, so there's like five of them. I would look at the CR and kind of guess. I'm really, I'm I'm not one for for doing the full math out that the mm-hmm. Xanthar's Guide suggests. I just kind of guess a lot when it comes to the encounters. And I've gotten really good at, at making reasons why things either leave or die early or come <laughs> in. I've I've gotten to be pro at that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and like, I, I generally just kind of plan out for what is in areas. Like if they do go up this mountain, what's up this mountain? Um, these things that really helped when they were in the abyss. Cause mm-hmm. I had like my notebook out of what happened previously on and I'm like, okay. And then I have, okay, well I know in the abyss there's these towers and forts and what are in these forts? And then I just kind of looked through all my monster cards of <laughs> like <laughs> demon things. And I'm like, okay, so these guys would probably be hanging out here. Uh, these guys would probably be hanging out here. Maybe these ones together. And so I would just end up having like a, just a stack of cards that would be ready for me. Mm-hmm. So that way I'm not totally flying by the seat of my pants because <laughs> that's me half the time. 
Um, you, you but are I guess a if I on discovery writer, <laughs> yeah, weirdly enough, but like, even though how I learn and how I would like to think I am, I would love to be an outliner, but I, I, I really am kind of discovery. Yeah. There's no um, as far as other prep, I do enjoy making props. Um, mm. I do enjoy minis. And so like, um, but really only of established things. <laughs> <laughs> so like if they have a house, I have in the back of my head an idea of I'm going to make that house. I don't know why, but that's kind of <laughs> that's in my head. And so that way, I, I don't know if I would call that prepping, but it, it's, it's, it's a way of helping prepping. me. Yeah, it's a way of helping me solidify places and things like I made a boat so now I actually know the size and how much can be carried in that boat Mm -hmm. and so it's like like we were talking earlier if I see the physicality of it like it helps me understand how to describe it better yeah and so it's like looking up pictures of things that aren't even real like figuring out the the dodd kong which is this undead giant stone giant lich (laughs) that's a mouthful Uh, yeah, it's an it's an actual thing in D and D lore, and it's uh, it's one of the reasons in my campaign why the stone giants didn't have to be dealt with. It was kind of hand wave mm-hmm. saying, "Don't deal with the stone giants, guys." It's because they're already dealt with because the stone giant king lich guy scared them all off. It's a silly place, <laughs> and so it's like prepping. I'm like, okay, well, why don't I want them to deal with the stone giants? And so then I look into lore. It's it's really just more so of how Where's to help. The- yeah, it's re- research. Like that's research and just prepping for areas that they could possibly go into. Mm-hmm. That's how I prep. I, like I don't that. really do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you, Eric? How, how was your prep uh, time and whatnot look like? Uh, so, um, here, which survey? You know, because Wizard sends out the surveys. They've done it a few times for D anD. d There is a survey that I was uh, filling out a while ago and um, I was actually doing it at home and uh, and one of my sons comes over as I was doing it and he saw the question and the question was how much time do you spend prepping as a DM for a game mm-hmm. and it was like like no time an hour blah 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 blah, blah. And, and Kieran leans over and he's like oh dad there isn't an option for every waking moment which about it but like i think actually one of the things that really draws me to dming is the the prep of the game for me is kind of like playing the game like there's actually playing the game with the characters but all the mm-hmm. prep is like i get to play D like all the time because i'm thinking about it and doing all these kind of things and stuff mm-hmm. like that um so so i spend a lot of time kind of prepping realistically um but i was actually just thinking about it, especially listening to Ali, and I think for me it breaks into kind of a couple of chunks. There's sort of the before I do, like, because I started running Curse of Strahd, moving over from kind of Forgotten Realms and Waterdeep and Undermountain and stuff like that, and before I can play it all, I kind of go through this whole thing of, like, reading a bunch and researching and then making, in my mind, some initial kind of key props just to give me a kind of a, a feel of what the world is like so that I have enough of it internalized that I can kind of be the system that is the world and respond to the players when they just do weird things that they do and some of the lovely things that of course come out of that. Um, And so I kind of do this whole kind of, I don't know, kind of consuming of the world so that I can kind of pretend to be the, the, the world that is there, sort of like one 
set of prep that I have to do. And then after that, once I've kind of done that and we're sort of then running, um, I, uh, so I use Google Docs. I use it at work. We do a bunch of Google stuff at work. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just use that at home. Um, and then uh, D&D Beyond or sort of like some of the, you were mentioning index cards. So I end up using D&D Beyond a lot. Um, and then I'll kind of, for each of my games, I do like my session notes for that particular game. And then I'll kind of have like links to stuff and D&D Beyond and all those sorts of pieces. And I kind of divide my, the upcoming game into sort of like, there's the prep I kind of do during the week, which is the Eric screwing around stuff. And I, that's like, <laughs> I just kind of do stuff that's kind of fun at that point, you know, because life is hard and busy. And so I just do yeah. fun. It's like I have this whole class of fun prep that I do. And then I have the required prep that I need to actually like run the game. And uh, <laughs> like, so one of the props start off as just this, like, I tweeted actually this um, piece that I had done actually a while ago that never ended up getting used which was, um, it was a story that I got from, uh, I can't remember which guy, it was Morden Cadens maybe about Asmodeus. And I did it as this um, uh, water damaged kind of book because I wanted it, I just wanted to see if I could achieve that look. I'd been reading about like an old manuscript and I'd seen it all mm -hmm. water damaged. I'm like, that's a really cool look. I wonder if I could make that, especially because I make all my props and just like, Google Slides. I'm like, can I do that in Google Slides? <laughs> uh, and so, so I made it. And then it, I actually got to use it in the current campaign. So it's actually becoming quite important in the Curse of Stride campaign. Um, oh, but nice. that started as, as one of my fun prep. Like, so mm -hmm. really that's all completely optional. And I've had a few people comment like, whoa, dude, like, you don't need to do all this. And I'm like, yeah, like to be very clear, like that's, <laughs> I do this because it's fun. Yeah. This is not work and I really enjoy it. And so I do it. It's just, it's, it's more enjoyable to me than a lot watching a lot of TV or other things that I could be doing with my time. It's just, I like doing this. So, so I've got this fun prep. And then when I get into the like, okay, this is like, I need to actually start thinking about what I'm going to do for the next session. <laughs> um, I actually lean pretty heavily on the um, Sly Flourish's Lazy DMs guide. Um, I have that one, yep. Yeah, to me, that was just like a bell going off because I certainly fell into the, you know, DM who just wants to talk at the players a lot and stuff like that and being like, oh, this really provides a context. And so I, I just kind of use a scene structure where I'll have kind of some different things um, and scenes might be attached to a map, like certainly in Undermountain they were. Um, they might not be attached to a map kind of if uh, we're running, you know, Curse of Strahd is much more sort of sandboxy. Um, but I'll have just a bunch of scenes. And then I'll often try to think of the scenes from like, okay, can I have like a a scene that's going to really hinge on a puzzle and then a scene that's got some nice RP in it, a scene that's got some combat. So I can then sort of break down the scenes and think about them from a perspective of providing a bunch of different experiences to the table in that particular game session, or at least in contrast to maybe what's gone on the last couple of sessions, sort of depending on how it's gone. Um, and it's been interesting because I've, my wife who's played a lot, but um, has never DM, so we're co-DMing Curse of Strahd, mm -hmm. and it's been interesting doing the, so the required prep piece of it is the thing that we've been doing together um, and chatting about it, and she'll often be like, oh yeah, and then the players will then do this. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not our job to figure <laughs> out what the players are gonna do. Our job, as, as you were talking about, Ali, is to set the stage and know that like, oh, if they go here, then there's this thing, and there's like these demons that are here, and we've kind of got the stat block 
you know, for me, I just use links in my Google Doc to the appropriate stuff in uh, D and D Beyond and stuff like that. So, but I could, you know, so I can quickly get to that information if I need it. But they might not go there. They might not do mm-hmm. the thing. And then, yeah. like, it, and then we're so we're co DMing, and so when we're in front of people, we like write notes and pass them back and forth. <laughs> At one point, one of, like, a couple sessions ago, like, and I print out this thing for my wife, and so she's looking at it. And then she's kind of like, and I'm kind of doing this whole thing. And she like passes me this note and I write, I'm completely making this up. (laughs) 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 This is in none of the notes that we've received. But for me, that's the the big part is that initial campaign prep of getting the world in my head is a big thing that allows me to then just kind of throw out ultimately all the prep and and just rest and kind of like, oh, I've kind of got... Barovia currently is what's occupying my mind space. And I kind of have a feel for how that is. And I can just kind of go whatever direction because of our sort of internalized that world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyways, there you go. Uh, that is that. All right. Uh, that I, I, I like the part that you're saying, though, about like the prepping for fun part. Because there is a lot of times yeah. I see online where like people will post like, "Oh, look at this! I I made Ravenloft in a you know <laughs> a, a, a scale and stuff like that." And uh, and people are like, "Oh, you're putting me to shame." It's like, well, no, that's what they have fun doing, right? Mm-hmm. And it's completely the, optional. Yeah, like, it, like, like nothing of that is optional. I ran Curves of Strahd and drew three maps on a yeah. thing, maybe. <laughs> Um, and like, so if that is what you enjoy doing, that's how you prep and that's what you make. And that's awesome. But if that's not what you enjoy doing, if you try to take any form of corkboard and hot glue it together and it all falls apart and you start crying to yourself alone, that's like me. And you don't do that anymore. Uh (laughs) I mean, like you're supposed to have fun if you don't have fun as the DM. What's the point? Yeah. 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 Well, Um, there is some prep. So that is really required. And that's why I try to. Partially just so my fun prep doesn't eat all the time I need for my required prep to make sure. Because mm-hmm. I do need some time to kind of block out the scenes and be thinking, okay, here yeah. are the pieces. and Because there's kind of some mechanics that I think are super useful to prep ahead of time. Just so you have some monsters at your fingers if you need to throw yeah. players. Or some random encounters. They've got like, oh, this might be fun. Um, well, actually, I, I don't enjoy. So that's why I like to go like, oh, but I need to box my fun prep to make sure it doesn't encompass everything. So I find dividing it and being very clear in my head. I'm doing fun things that I just want to do that are not required versus, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm doing a thing that actually will be super useful for the game. I I, I do want to ask real quick, uh, what do you do with with encounters? Are you the kind of person that, like, does the CR rating and the math and everything? Or how do you you usually plan out encounters? Uh, Yeah, I don't... Yeah, Allie and I are sort of birds of a feather on this one. So, yeah, I just... I've never really... Like, for me, playing these games is not about the rule sets. Like, mm-hmm. I'm glad that there are rules. I'm glad that there are very smart people who put together the rules. <laughs> uh, but, like, for me, it's about kind of making this world together with the players. Uh, and that's what's really important. So, so yeah, I, you know, I'll, like, I have a working knowledge of CR ratings and stuff like that. But I don't do, like, vast sums of math. And, yeah. and I think, you know, even the designers will be like, well, these are really more guides than yeah. they are real things and the so it's really Corbo, so these are more like guidelines yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so it's more kind of like working off of the players and kind of like how the encounter is going and or thinking about how they'll kind of respond to a particular thing and really thinking about um actually there's that site um uh the monsters 
What is this? Oh, site? the monsters know what they're doing. The monsters know what they're doing. Yeah. Which I, I uh, actually Keith Almond. Great, yeah. great book. Yeah, great book, a uh, great, great site. And so, yeah, I've got the book and I'll often, especially if there's a super important fight come up, we'll read his guides a couple times because yeah. it helps me, you know, the players really focus on like how they get synergies between the specific set of things because they're dealing with a relatively narrow set of choices. Whereas you're like, you've got all the players who have made all their choices. Plus you've got like really an infinite number of monsters if you wanted to throw them at the player. And so, you know, my only... Mm-hmm brain capacity for figuring all that stuff out <laughs> I, I i've relied on on keith's book uh mainly to figure out how to make the monster feel like its own so that a rimaraz mm-hmm. doesn't feel like a giant worm like it is a different because of the way that it acts i found that his book does really well on that mm-hmm. um i'm i'm along with the lines with you guys uh, i said in the, the last time we did this is that i do not sit down and heavily plan out encounters because for me that's one of the boring parts and most of the time it gets a little too crunchy and feels that way through the combat um i like right now because i have four players that are level 11 and two players that are level six um i've decided that i'm like okay i can't use the stuff that's in the book reliably for them to just beat the crap out of it so i've started pulling stuff from like tome of beast and creature codex but even then i'm like that looks pretty i'm gonna use that uh (laughs) (laughs) like last night i i threw these two giant bone skeleton flaming demon things at them and i and it wasn't until we saw the tail went yeah what cr are they Oh yeah, that'll be fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I even I was playing uh, I was playing Dusty with my one of my players today, and I even said to him, "I was like, how many times during a game do you hear me say oh, I didn't know they could do that?" He goes, "Often." Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, my so last time uh, I talked about this, my prep style was a post-it note. That's that was my prep. I had a post-it note and I wrote down some notes and whatnot. And um, I found that I kind of that kind of degraded my uh, DMing after a while uh, because I wasn't doing it to the extent that I should have been. So now what I do is I open up a Word document. I put it in two columns. And basically what I do is, like you were saying, uh, block out scenes like they may not go to these in this order or even you know get to this in this session but this is where they need to go to find the stuff to continue the story mm-hmm. and so since i'm running descent into avernus it's basically my notes on what i'm changing and in what order it needs to go because the book's not quite laid out like that yeah <laughs> like, the book might be like all right here's everything about this cathedral and then they're gonna go to this chapel uh, but then they're going to go back to that cathedral, but you need to go back and look at those pages to get that information. <laughs> so like I'm, I'm organizing the, the campaign in those notes and yeah, mostly it's me changing like, okay, in this room, instead of this creature, it's this creature. And what I've done for myself that I'm very appreciative of past Trevor is I put parentheses creature codex page 79. Yes. Uh, so <laughs> I, I'm actually helping myself later. So I don't have to look through them. Um, and this new method has been helping me out really well because I'm, I'm using these binders that have pullout pages so I can just rip it out, have it there next to the book, put it back into the disc binder and, uh, and, and be good to go. Um, but the other thing that I started doing now that I used to only keep in my head was, um, I have those player goals now set out on a piece of paper that's in that binder and, so like for one player's things that I'm not going to say too much into because then they will figure it out. 
there's a certain thing that they are doing that they don't realize it, that if they do enough, something bad will happen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so like I have on this page listing out the backstory of why that is. And then some little check boxes that I can then go and do as I'm going along. So at least I can reference that to be like, all right, where are these, where's this player's uh, story taking them? Okay. I can foreshadow some stuff in that way. Um, but I actually did, and I'll go into this another time, but I actually built a DM binder now. <laughs> you did? I did. Uh, oh, uh, nice. Justice Armin tweeted out uh, pictures of his, and I'm just like, I need to do this. Um, <laughs> and so I, I had a disc binder, and I got a bunch of, like, plastic sheets that I can put the paper into. Um, and so, like, I have a bunch of stuff in there now that I can just easily reference as I'm going. But yeah, the, my, my prep has definitely got changed from like just a post-it note to possibly a page and a half of two columned uh, computer, uh, you know, word document notes. And it's been really nice now because I, since it's bigger text too, I can be like, Oh, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> Instead <laughs> of relying on a, on a post-it note, but so far it's been working really good. Um, what I'm very curious about is after this campaign, when I go into my own homebrew, what my prep's going to look like. Yeah. That's terrifying. <laughs> Why do you do so, columns? Uh, one a- aesthetic because it looks like how it does in the books. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also because you had something in one column, like this, this set of things goes in one column and this set of things. goes. No, in it, it, uh, it's literally like I do the two columns and then I just start typing and then it will fill in the next column. Uh, okay. Um, and that's mostly to con- conserve space. Uh, and because since it's in a closer area i can read it faster than going my eyes going across the entire page while i'm running it so having it in that little condensed spot has helped me out a lot right yeah but uh but yeah um i i I wanted to go through that pretty quick because like i said we're we're running low on time for you don't want to keep you too long but uh Uh, it pretty much sounds like our all three of us for our game prep these are just things that we do so we don't have to eat into this time we spend storytelling yeah at the table which whether it be organizing the book better or putting out google docs of how you want to have rooms set out or just having monster cards so you don't have to reference the book every five minutes i feel like that's kind of what game prep boils down into so Mm -hmm. you have more time being able to storytell versus go through and find things That's true. I, I think I think it's true. I think another part of it for me is feeling comfortable enough in the things that are going to happen that I can then throw them away and just have <laughs> and improv them. You know, like yeah, yeah. kind of like have the NPCs or stuff enough in my head that I can then ignore all my notes and just kind of do it. So the making the notes is to give me confidence or just to get them in my head or I don't know, sure what it is, but I do think the other, uh, there's definitely a just like logistics because there's a lot of information. And so having your subset super important. Um, and then there's another piece of just being able to like bring the world to life and, and just kind of, and then forget that. So you can just <laughs> pick up with your friends, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that, that I, yeah, no, that's a great way, but I think both of the ways that you guys are put in there is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have anything to, to capstone that off on. <laughs> I, think, I think you guys did a great job. Um, but yeah, uh, Eric, thanks for being on the episode again. Uh, this, was yeah. a fan- this was a fantastic chat. I really did enjoy this. No, um, thanks for having me back. It was, I had oh, such a great time last time, and it's been great chatting with you guys again. It's fun. Glad welcome to hear back it. anytime. You're, you're more than welcome <laughs> to DM me and be like, I'd like to be on the show again. And I'll be like, I will make that happen. <laughs> <laughs>
but yeah, um, I I mean, uh, why, why don't you why don't you put your Twitter account since you you got uh, I mean, people oh. know who you are for uh, Codename Entertainment. I'm assuming, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, CEO of Codename Entertainment. Yeah, that's true. Um, so uh, Eric E R I C Remy R E M Y Jordan J O R D A N. So Eric Remy Jordan is my Twitter account. So that's how that's how you see the props we've been talking about and stuff like that. I usually post them there after my players have seen them, which sometimes can take a while. Much <laughs> 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 pictures of another prop that I'm hoping that they'll get to next. We're playing on Sunday, so I'm hoping they'll get to them on Sunday, and then I'll be able to post on either Sunday evening or Monday because one that I really really love this particular prop, somewhat inspired by S. Though, Ooh, don't listen to that, players. <laughs> Ooh, stay tuned i loved it <laughs> uh but yeah thanks again for being on the show uh mm-hmm. you know because it, it, it is what brings the money go play idle champions <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> go watch in case you stream. haven't heard that from us enough <laughs> yeah, right? i know <laughs> all right well that was our show for this week if you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice as well as telling your friends about the show if you'd like your questions advice or stories read on the show send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com and if you'd like to stay up to date on the show you can follow us on twitter at difficultyclass on on instagram at difficultypodcast so until next week have a good game Mm -hmm.